Lake Cumberland is a reservoir in Kentucky that was originally intended for flood prevention and for the creation of hydroelectric power. However, with over 1,200 miles of shoreline, according to the Kentucky Tourism site, it is, quote, one of the largest and most visited lakes in the eastern United States, end quote, and it is massive, spanning more than 65,000 acres across multiple Kentucky counties, including Clinton, Pulaski, Russell, Wayne, and Laurel counties. But beyond the beauty of the natural landscape, like so many places we cover on this show, darkness and crime infiltrate. Despite small, tight-knit communities often being places where families still visit each other after church on Sundays, still look forward to their county fairs and festivals, and still know the names of half of the town, somehow those quaint qualities that I know I value so much about my hometown aren't strong enough to keep evil out. In fact, our case this week focuses on a young man from the Lake Cumberland area in Kentucky who went missing in 2022 around Independence Day, either July 4th or July 5th. Despite his family searching for him from the moment they discovered no one had heard from him, they are still searching for many of the same answers they had over a year ago. That's why it's up to us to listen, to share, and to help them apply pressure for those answers. This is the case of Ricky Griffiths. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. If you've been listening to our show at all, then you know that we make it a point to cover lesser-known cases, which are also often the ones with very little media coverage. The case this week is one such case, and that is why I am so grateful to Ricky's sister, Cheyenne Carney, for being willing to answer my questions. And I had several of them. She graciously took the time to have a phone conversation with me. So throughout the episode, I will be interspersing some of that conversation. Ricky Griffiths, in July 2022, when he went missing, was 46 years old and a resident of Wayne County, Kentucky, which is in southern Kentucky, right on the border with Tennessee. And if if you're not from Kentucky, I feel the need to explain to you that we tend to tell people not the town where we're from, unless it's a bigger city like Lexington or Louisville, but instead to tell people what county 
we are from. So for those outside of Kentucky, we are going to be primarily focusing on two counties in south central Kentucky, Wayne County and Pulaski County. The recognizable towns in each, Burnside and Pulaski County and Monticello and Wayne County, they're less than 20 miles between the two and only about a 20-minute drive. So the areas we'll be discussing are relatively close to one another. Due in part to that proximity, from my understanding, Ricky was from Wayne County but was extremely familiar with Pulaski County as well. As an individual, Ricky was, from everything I've learned doing research for the case, just a good person. He wasn't flashy, preferring to be in his jeans and t-shirt, but he knew how to respect others and to make them feel special. And you'll, you'll hear more about this quality when we discuss the last known actions of Ricky here in a moment. In terms of the respect, he was just a person who loved his friends and loved his family. He was always calling, for example, to check in with his sister Cheyenne, and he spoke with his parents or saw them nearly every day. In fact, in between girlfriends with whom he would often live, he would always come back to his parents' house. He would stop by to do laundry there or just pop in for a visit. While living with them, he had an open and honest relationship with them, always letting them know if he planned on coming home late or if he planned on staying out all night because he didn't want them to worry. And Cheyenne's favorite memory of her brother really illustrates the loving man Ricky was. One of my favorite memories of my brother would probably be grow, like when I was growing up, uh, a little girl, my, um, my brother played football. And he always had lots of friends. He was so popular. He had every friend you could imagine. They always stayed at our house. And my mom would have these big sleepovers. And we would have, like, the whole football team in the living room (laughs) floor with unlimited sandwiches. Mom would make these big sandwich platters. And they would just lay around in the floor and on the couch and play Barbies with me and, you know, put me up to doing, like, doing things I shouldn't do. <laughs> and that was just always really fun because that that's what inspired me to, um, you know, inspired me, you know, becoming a boy mom. Like, looking back on those memories, yeah. I just always said, I hope I have a little boy one day because I want to give them exactly what this is. Yeah. So that's my favorite memory is probably whenever I was really little and how, like, my brother just, He was crazy about me. Friends were crazy about me. And that was just a brotherhood and a bond that I just, I just loved being a part of. But like anyone, Ricky did have his struggles. Ricky had been involved in a near fatal car accident years prior and in healing from that accident became addicted to the pain medication as well as to the alcohol that he turned to to numb the pain. That addiction to painkillers soon expanded to other drugs. Ricky's mother, Alice, noted that while her son wasn't perfect, he had actively been through rehabilitation and had even been clean around two years by the summer of 2022. In fact, his mother told Anna Medina of WTVQ, quote, he fought hard to go get out of some of his battles. He was fighting and he did. God brought him back to us a better man, end quote. It was a daily struggle, but Ricky was proving day by day 
that he was stronger than his addiction. That brings us to Independence Day 2022, and Ricky was in the Burnside area of Lake Cumberland, which is in Pulaski County, and has a population of fewer than a thousand people. So when I spoke of that small town atmosphere in the introduction, this town has it in droves. Ricky had been out all day on July 4th, 2022. He was freshly single. His relationship ended about a week prior, and he was just ready to meet up with friends and hang out. It was one of his stops on this day, though, that led to me saying that Ricky was the kind of person who tried to make others feel special. You see, Ricky had stopped in to eat at the Cove Bar and Grill in Somerset, Kentucky. And while there, he had paid for the lunch of a regular customer and that customer's wife. The customer had then written Ricky a thank you note on the back of a receipt that read, quote, Thank you for the thought and the deed. It was excessive, but deeply appreciated. John, thanks again for it, end quote. And while I don't know exactly what happened in between, we do also know that Ricky stopped at a couple of ATMs and made a stop at a gas station with several of his friends or acquaintances. Later in the day, Ricky's mom, Alice, texted him to see if he would be coming home that night. All he texted back was, no. What that meant, though, was that a whole 24 hours passed before his parents or anyone else began to worry about Ricky. However, when Ricky didn't return home on July 5th either and didn't show up for work the next day, his mom knew something was wrong. It was then that she called daughter Cheyenne. When Cheyenne told her mom that she also hadn't heard from Ricky, They knew immediately that they needed to file a missing persons report, which they did on the morning of July 6th. Cheyenne also began searching through her brother's accounts. They shared passwords with one another to try to find any and all information that she could. It was in that search that she noticed some off-putting messages that, to her, could not have come from Ricky. Some news sources say that Ricky sent the following text to his mother, but his mother has made it perfectly clear that she never received any text other than the one on July 4th, letting her know that he wouldn't be coming home that night. However, another text went out from Ricky's phone on July 5th, whether or not Ricky typed it or someone else, we don't know, but this text was rather bizarre, that he was lost in the woods and was stuck in the mud. Ricky's car was later discovered, also on July 6th, the same day the missing persons report was filed, buried in tall grass and mud near a strip mine in Coopersville, Kentucky. Coopersville is in Wayne County and about a 12-minute drive from Monticello, but being from Wayne County This was Ricky's neck of the woods. This was land he was very familiar with. So why would he have sent a text that he was, quote, lost in the woods or, quote, stuck in the mud? None of it seemed to make much sense to his friends and family. What made even less sense to the family was that law enforcement didn't seem interested in processing the vehicle as evidence. Cheyenne noted that local law enforcement not only didn't immediately search the vehicle to gather evidence, 
but that they let it sit where it was found for more than 48 hours before anything was even done. According to Cheyenne, the person who discovered Ricky's car wasn't even questioned until just a few months ago. That must have been so infuriating, especially for a family just wanting answers. Other news reports, like Misty Phillips for Somerset 106, did note some search and rescue efforts by the Wayne County Sheriff's Department. She stated in her report, quote, A search of the area by the Wayne County Sheriff's Office and an extended search by the Wayne County Rescue Squad, along with family members, ended with Ricky not being located, end quote. Additionally, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources deployed drones in the area, but were also unable to find any sign of Ricky. Regardless of the effort put in the search by Wayne County law enforcement, since Ricky's sister Cheyenne is so perceptive, seeing the car did provide one big answer for her, namely whether Ricky was the one who drove his car to this location. Cheyenne would answer that question with a resounding no. You see, Ricky was six feet tall and would obviously have to have the driver's seat pushed far enough back to accommodate his large frame. Instead, the driver's seat was moved as though someone much shorter had been driving it. But it's the next observation that has Cheyenne even more convinced that Ricky's car was brought here and not driven here by her brother. She stated in an interview about the case that Ricky was a chain smoker, so much so that it was almost as though he would light a new cigarette from the final embers of the previous one. However, in the area around the car or in any path leading away from the car, there wasn't even a single cigarette butt to be found. Not one. Those two facts were only compounded when she learned that Ricky's wallet which contained the receipt to the Cove Bar and Grill restaurant with the note on the back, and his cell phone had been left in the car as well. First, if Ricky had actually driven here, the car seat wouldn't be moved. Second, if he had driven here and truly gotten stuck, as that strange text seemed to indicate, he would have had to have used his phone to send that text, and if he can send a text, why not call? And if he started walking, why not take the cell phone with him? There is no reason I can think of for leaving it behind. And finally, if he were truly stuck here and waiting it out until someone found him or picked him up, he would have been smoking while he was waiting. So for Cheyenne, there is no evidence that her brother was actually in the area where his car was found abandoned. Here's what she said in our conversation. Um, he he was a chain smoker. He he, my brother, you know, he was he was just like a construction guy. You know, he he always he worked on cars, smoked his cigarettes. I mean, that that's just kind of who he was. And a whole pack of cigarettes were left in the car. Um, the you know the seat was moved was not in a place was not in a place that he would drive that car in and the dogs the dogs they definitely um they smelled whoever was in the vehicle you know they didn't smell my brother and um you know and I just feel like that with me bringing all of that to uh, to people's attention and it just being completely disregarded because like I know I know my brother I know my brother 
you know, probably outside of my mother and father, probably better than anybody in this world knows my brother. And my brother, we grew up out there. We're, we grew up just a few miles from um, where the car was found. Um, my brother grew up there over half of his life. Many, many of years he played uh, in road four-wheelers and dirt bikes in the same area of where his car was. My brother could probably go out there in the pitch black at night and find his way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know like my brother, he is a handyman. He's a Mr. Fixer. There's nothing he can't fix. There's n- like he's, I've never heard the man say he's been lost before. He's always found his way. Um, for the fact that if he was even stuck in the mud, I know for a fact he would have dug himself out with his hands mm-hmm. before he would ask mm-hmm. for help. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, before he would ever admit to being stuck anywhere, he would have dug himself out. Yeah. And um, and he would never, never say he was, he was lost, you know, none of that. So, and, and definitely, like, whoever had his phone, those messages coming from his phone after, I would say, around 3.30, in the 4 in the morning on July the 5th, those were not my brother. And if you go back and you do, like, analysis of, you know, like, how he texts, like, I, we've, we've went back from, like, six months worth to see, like, his texting style. Mm-hmm. They do not even come close to the to the same, like, style of text. Right. Like, the punctuation, the emojis. My brother had not sent an emoji in months to somebody, and whoever had his phone loved emojis. Oh, yeah. so there were additional texts other than the I'm lost in the woods or I'm stuck in the mud. Yes, there were messages corresponding on Facebook um, with a couple people. That was not my brother. They were staged texts. What the content of those messages were about? Um, One of the messages that was sent to... Um, that was sent from my brother's phone was to another a, a girl that he was supposed to go meet up with but he never showed up his gps navigation system on his phone showed that he was leaving antioch and headed towards this lady's house but he never showed up supposedly never showed up and um then a couple hours later after not showing up he starts corresponding back with her and says he's still coming just when he gets out of the woods and um another message said we would have been there by now but he lost service and who's we that just goes to show you that he was not alone as to the any any monster said he he left alone he did not leave alone In February, that lady that he was texting, she passed away. Hmm. Was that so, suspicious yeah, in any way? She or passed away. She actually passed away. They ruled it as an overdose. That's what the they said. Um, maybe it was undetermined. I'd have to ask one of the family, but I believe they said it was an overdose. And she actually was found just a couple miles from where Ricky was last seen alive at. Cheyenne also alleges that her parents asked law enforcement why they didn't go immediately to search the vehicle, despite the fact that they had upwards of 50 ATVs in the area and at their disposal during the search of the area, and that the response was something to the effect of, 
I have a $70,000 vehicle that I am not going to get scratched up. Thankfully, another group came in who was willing to search. In July of 2023, the family found some support when Tony Wade of the Cajun Coast Search and Rescue Team came to Kentucky with his canine crew in tow. When they arrived, they met with Ricky's family and searched more than 50 miles of the rugged terrain that is the Lake Cumberland area. It is filled with trees, caves, ridges, and more that make the search itself extremely difficult. Despite the difficulty of the search, more details came to light concerning what may have happened to Ricky. Wade and his team primarily focused their search in both Wayne County and Pulaski County, but he told WKYT News that he's leaning toward a likelihood that Ricky will be found in Pulaski County, though I didn't read any explanation as to why he holds that belief. Perhaps he believes, as Cheyenne does, that Ricky wasn't driving. When I asked Cheyenne about the Wayne versus Pulaski County distinction, she said the following. We have, we have uh, pretty good leads on both areas at this moment. Okay. We have, we, have, we have one area of interest in Wayne County that has not been looked into that we are having to do, we are having to figure out a way to investigate that area. But back to the initial search, Wade's dogs did hit on a scent and traced it up to the top of of a ridge. Their guess was that the purpose may have been to get cell phone signal and then traced it back down just to end at a road as if someone picked the person up. And I'm saying the person and not Ricky because the scent the dogs followed had originated from sniffing the driver's seat. So if Ricky had been driving, then it would appear that Ricky had been picked up by someone. But given all of the other abnormalities, the dogs may have been following the scent of whomever had driven Ricky's car to this location, and that person caught a ride. Although the dog search didn't lead to concrete answers, Wade reached out to a friend of his to help out. That friend just so happens to be the Nancy Grace. Wade told Phil Pendleton of WKYT, quote, Nancy has been a friend of mine for many years. When I called her about it last week, she jumped on it. I think in a missing person's case, the more publicity a case gets, the more helpful it is. The more leads come in, the more tips come in, end quote. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. I don't know if it's been the same for you, but it feels like the price of everything keeps rising and my bank account keeps shrinking. Even when I had money passively sitting in investment accounts, those funds rarely rise at the rate of inflation, leaving me feeling like I was in the same boat. All of my money was going somewhere, but never coming back to me. 
The age of stock picking is here. With towering inflation and elevating interest rates, sticking your money in a passive market fund just isn't going to get you what it used to. But it doesn't mean you have to abandon the market. There are still ways to invest for the future. You just need to know where to look, which is where the Motley Fool comes in. The Motley Fool Stock Advisor Service highlights two stocks each and every month for members to add to their portfolios, and it literally has paid to listen to them. Historically, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023, and listeners of Coffee and Cases can now access Motley Fool Stock Advisor for just $89 for their first year. That's a full $110 off the list price. What are you waiting for? Visit fool.com forward slash coffee and cases to start your investing journey today. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Order. And about the position of the driver's seat and the lack of cigarette butts. But it was also in the Nancy Grace coverage that I first heard about video footage related to Ricky's case. On that podcast episode, Cheyenne told Nancy Grace that it appears her brother had made stops at at least two ATMs. When asked about footage from those ATMs, Cheyenne indicated that it was her understanding that law enforcement had pulled the security footage from the machines to verify identity, but that the family had never been allowed to view the footage. In fact, Cheyenne was extremely clear in her frustration with law enforcement. Here's what she told me about the ATM footage. It took us, we, we asked for them that first week, and it took us a, a year to get a photo or to get a picture of it. You know, and I asked, I asked them, like, I think, it, you know, it's going to be beneficial for us to see that uh, ATM transaction to not only for one to see if he was alone mm-hmm. but to to have confirmation of what he was actually wearing right not um and, and also to check like his demeanor his behavior you know to like see if that the video would show like if he would he would if he looked under the influence or had just different forms of behavior outside of his regular norm because the behavior and stuff was a little different than the norm when he was at the cove prior to this incident Mm. and um so i wanted to see because some of these people that he hung out with and met up with their stories just don't add up at all and you know like one says he was high one says he was drunk the other one says he was neither. She didn't smell alcohol on his breath. He was just perfectly fine. So nobody's story is really adding up as to like if he mm-hmm. was under the influence of any kind. Right. You know, was maybe he wasn't. So um, I, I, w- I was really hoping that they would get that sooner to us. Not able to see the images. She was able to confidently state that Ricky had also stopped at a gas station with no fewer than five friends or acquaintances. 
When Nancy Grace asked how she knew that there were five people with him, Cheyenne noted that she had seen the security footage from the gas station, and there were five individuals in the car with Ricky. What could those individuals know? What we know, beyond those details, is fairly minimal. But it's because of both the receipt in Ricky's car and the video surveillance footage that we know Ricky was seen in the following places, though there may be others that are as yet unknown. The Cove, located at 120 Stonecrest Drive, Somerset, Kentucky. Shell Gas Station, called Pitmark locally, located at 1516 Columbia Avenue, Monticello. And The Junction, located at 65 KY90 in Albany, Kentucky. And I will add to that list information I gained in my conversation with Cheyenne. Ricky had been supposed to drive to meet a girl, but she says that he never showed up. He did show up at the home of the person who Cheyenne calls the Antioch Monster. But I'll let Cheyenne tell you about that location, the place where Ricky was last seen alive. It was a, like a storage building type, and it was turned into a house. I guess you've seen those, like. Yeah. Yes, that, that's what it was, that's what it was like, but it was literally like a shed. It wasn't like a garage building or anything. It was a very small, uh, like a very efficiency type setup. Okay. And that's on that, that's on the, that's on the property. That's where that guy and another gentleman was living, Okay, and so we do know for sure that that Ricky was there. Yes, yes, we do for for sure. Ricky, Ricky was there. He arrived there around three, three, three in the morning on July the fifth. Okay, and do we know that from like GPS on his phone or? Uh, we know it from GPS on his phone. We know it from the guy admitting that Ricky showed up, but he admitted, that, or he said that he left alone. We know it from um, uh, the GPS on his phone, the text messages. We know it from um, some eyewitnesses that were actually there at the, at the, tra- um, at the trailer, uh, just briefly, they were briefly there. You know, they had said that, yeah, Ricky, Ricky did come here. I did see his car here. While the family has yet to get answers as to what happened to Ricky, they were able to go to the Cove Bar and Grill to meet with the owner, manager, and server who had seen Ricky on that July 4th. To make their visit even better, not only were they able to see video footage of Ricky, but they were also able to meet John, the author of the thank you note. That was such a blessing for this family, and they were able, again, to feel in some small way connected to Ricky. In fact, that receipt still holds a special place. In a post on the Justice for Ricky Griffiths Facebook page, it reads, quote, I carry this receipt with me. I look at it often, mostly when I feel like there are no kind people left in this evil world. Ricky might have bought your dinner that night, but you took the time to write him this note. It might not seem like much, but it was. That moment shared with you meant so much during this time of sadness and heartache. I firmly believe Ricky left it behind for our family to always remember that there are still good people left in this world. And a little goes a long way. End quote. 
I firmly believe it does as well. Despite gaining more information that was previously unavailable, unfortunately, it doesn't appear as though any other podcasts or media have continued to keep the focus on Ricky's case and thus continue to apply pressure to both law enforcement and to those with information who have yet to come forward. So that's what we hope to do here on Coffee and Cases, but we can only do it with your help. Remember those words that a little goes a long way, even a single share matters, especially when there are still so many questions. This is where we come to the theories as to what happened to Ricky Griffiths. In essence, there really can only be three possibilities. Number one, that Ricky left of his own accord. If we follow this line of reasoning, I'm unsure of what his motive would be to get out of town, especially since he had been in active recovery for more than two years And also, if the intent were to leave, why even attempt to send a text that you're stuck in the mud? And why a charade with abandoning your car in a random location? So to me, this potential theory doesn't fit. Number two, Ricky was involved in some sort of accident. And what I mean by this is that if he truly did manage to get his car stuck and he struck out trying to find a road or look for help, then he may have fallen or somehow gotten incapacitated. And while I understand that accidents may happen, my issue with this theory is that it doesn't explain how he got lost in an area that he's so familiar with. If he were driving, then it doesn't explain why the seat wasn't in its normal place. And it still doesn't explain the lack of cigarette butts. And if I'm going to set off to look for help, I'd certainly take my wallet and my cell phone with me, and I would have grabbed the bottle of water left in the car since it was summertime. So for those reasons, my gut tells me this theory can be eliminated as well. And that only leaves us one option. Ricky met with foul play. Representatives from the Wayne County Sheriff's Department have said that they believe there is a strong possibility of foul play in Ricky Griffith's disappearance. However, despite the fact that they say they have conducted at least four separate polygraph tests, those tests have not yet produced the viable leads anyone close to the case hoped that they would. As recently as July 6, 2023, Wayne County Sheriff Tim Catron told reporter Eric Criswell that a sixth search warrant was obtained just that week. What, if anything, was uncovered from that search has yet to be revealed. I did read from coverage by Derek Aaron for Lake Country Radio that both Ricky's family and law enforcement believe that something may have happened to Ricky while those other individuals were in his car. And if that is true, then what happened and why are the next big questions that need to be answered. Ricky's mom told Phil Pendleton of WKYT, quote, The last text message she got from her son's phone was not characteristic of how he would communicate with her. She believes he was with the wrong crowd the last time he was seen or heard from, end quote. His sister Cheyenne seems to have a clearer idea of who she thinks is responsible. In a Facebook post from March 30th, 2023, Cheyenne wrote, quote, I will never forget hanging up the phone with that Antioch monster 
the day my brother went missing and looking my mother straight in the eyes and saying, that's who killed my brother and no one can tell me otherwise, end quote. She believes this person was the last to see Ricky alive and suggests in that same Facebook post that GPS location tagged the individual she's referring to in the same location as Ricky's car. Asked about a motive, Cheyenne believes that it is jealousy. But in my discussion with her, she made it clear that there are other possibilities. Now, is... Because you obviously believe that that the Antioch monster is responsible for your brother's death, is well, he's not. He's not the only one. So I want you to stress that in your okay. We have other interests besides the Antioch monster, but he's definitely, definitely one of the main people involved. The other people who are interests are they linked to him? So this would be a group of people responsible, or are these separate leads? Um, well, they're all in the same circle. They do live in different counties. I do believe that they might meet up together just like occasionally or, you know, in a passing. I don't think that, I think that that night was just a night of fun for probably all of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think, yes, but, but a majority of the group are big time buddies. She went on to say this. I can't really sit here and say that who took the blow that killed my brother. But I know between, I I know it's between two people. No matter the truth, it doesn't change the fact that what law enforcement need are the details to support what they already believe they know. Could it be information that only you hold? Ricky's mom told Anna Medina of WTVQ on the one-year anniversary of Ricky's disappearance, quote, I just feel Ricky's come to me. And he said, thank you, mom. And he held on tight to me. So I've already felt his spirit laying right here. He come and held me and said, thank you, mom. Because, you know, mama won't never give up, end quote. But thankfully, there are others who won't give up either and who have helped to create something of a local movement. There was 11-year-old Colton Adams, also from Wayne County, when he was trying to come up with a design for a car to enter in the Wayne County Fair and Horse Show Demolition Derby. Asked what inspired him to decorate the car as he did, Colton told Anna Medina of WTVQ, quote, Ricky's story. I seen his mom. She's on Facebook all the time, and my mom. We figured out he used to come in our store a lot. So I said, Mom, can I dedicate the car to Ricky? The number was his basketball and football number, end quote. And when the car took home the trophy for best looking car, Colton gave that trophy to Ricky's mother. Cheyenne was impressed by the advocate Colton is for finding justice in her brother's case. And I don't know what set it on that child's heart so strongly, but that child has, he's been an advocate, you know, for Ricky also. He, you know, he came up with that, it was put on his heart to make a justice for Ricky Derby car. Mm-hmm. He didn't get to drive it, but he got to help his big brother paint it. And his brother, his big brother allowed him to 
to do that, you know, because his brother's the one that drove it, you know, his brother. So his brother got involved with help, you know, helping the cause as well. And um, Colton loves the camera and Colton is just a big ray of sunshine. Mm -hmm. He's so feisty. My brother would just love, love that little boy so much Mm -hmm. because he's like, he's all boy. Yeah. He's boots and jeans and dimples. Colton has inspired others to do what they can to show support for the Griffiths family, who has actually seen an increase in the purchase of their Justice for Ricky shirts that they sell to raise money for rewards and for further search efforts. It was actually one of Ricky's longtime friends from high school, Robert Ellis, who approached the family with the idea of selling shirts to help raise that money for whatever the family needed. They've now sold roughly 500 shirts and have felt support from their entire community. Here's Cheyenne. You know, I, everybody in Wayne County wants to find Ricky. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody there. Right. I've never seen a community come together like my hometown community has in the past six months. I mean, when when June came, I had seen people support and show love and send prayers like that I, I I didn't even realize how loved my brother was like I knew he was loved but there were people that I hadn't seen in years there were people that I had never met that knew him mm. you know my 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 messages stay full of people sending pictures of him and memories of him and you know and there's a lot of people that have come to me and thanked me for standing up for the community and being an advocate for my brother. As for local law enforcement, well, WKYT correspondent Phil Pendleton wrote, the Wayne County Sheriff says the search for Griffiths is an active and open investigation, and there are aspects of the case they cannot talk about for fear it would compromise it, end quote. As we know, sometimes it is a seemingly minuscule detail snippets of a recalled conversation, piece of a memory that seems on the surface to be inconsequential that can be enough to break a case wide open. So if you have any information, no matter how small, even if you've already taken that information to police, I urge you to share it again. And if you are not personally connected to the case, you can still do your part as well by sharing this episode on your social media by telling other people about it. Ricky's family deserve coverage, yes, but even more than that, they deserve answers. The trauma that comes with a missing loved one can be debilitating, and it has been for Ricky's parents. Every day is a struggle for her to even wake up. Like, every day, just imagine what it's like to have your son know know when your son was murdered. And knowing that you're going to Walmart and you're passing by, possibly walking past people who know where he's at or Mm. ones involved or relatives of the ones involved, you know, having to go through like their their checkout at their place of employment. Mm -hmm. So it's really it's really hard on her to even, you know get out and just live a normal life again and then when she you know and then there's times she goes in places and goes 
around in the community and people ask her like questions and stuff. Some she can't answer, some she can. But it's like ripping a Band-Aid off of a wound every day to her. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like that until we find find him. Right. I want to sal- I want to salvage what's left of my parents because before all of this happened, they were both, I mean they were both fairly healthy and very active. Um, very active grandparents, very active parents. And before all of this happened, you know, I feel like I mean, I know I know we're all on borrowed time and tomorrow is not promised to nobody. But I still felt like I had enough time left with them, you know, like, not enough, but I had, I had time, mm-hmm. you know, like they would get to go to, you know, milestones, graduations. Like I still felt like I had time with them, but this has completely diminished their health, mental and physical. Mm-hmm. And not only did these monsters kill my brother, they are slowly killing my parents. Thankfully, Cheyenne has had her two cousins to lean on to help continue to keep Ricky's case alive and in the public eye. And she said that when one of them needs to step back for personal reasons or mental health, the other two step forward and that they have formed an incredible team. She feels her brother helped them find that strength in each other. You know, when I lost my brother, like that was my best friend. And I almost feel like, like I was close, like me and my cousins was close. Whenever Ricky went missing, it was almost like he brought us together and formed this bond that is, I mean, absolutely unmatched, unbreakable, untouched. And it's like we all work. We have different personalities. We have different strengths. Mm-hmm. And each individual, like when you combine us together, it's a whole force and we get along well. We always come to, you know, we always, we always come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. We, we listen to advice, opinions on how things need to be done, how things need to be handled, steps that need to be moved forward. That's been a, like a lifeline for my parents. That's been able to take a lot of alleviation off of them. That's alleviated a lot of stress, you know, because they know that we aren't stopping. Right. And um, so that's been very good. And it's almost like Ricky gave, gave them to me. Mm, I love that. <laughs> almost like he gave them to me. And the family now has a new search organization involved in the case, one that feels like it has been a godsend. We also we also have a new search team that is currently active and working on Ricky's case. Um, they work they're working every weekend. Um, they're they have they they have they have the tip line. They're keeping things very professional. Mm-hmm. They're wanting the family to be able to grieve. They're wanting the family to not have to do so much work. Right. So they are, and you know, and they're keeping things anonymous from the family. They, because they don't want us out here putting our life in danger. Mm-hmm. They, because they're, they're following up. They're following up with everything that they're getting and they're doing things the right way. And they, they are not asking for donations. They aren't asking for any form of funding. Nothing. They're doing it all from their own pocket. 
and out of just the the love and genuine of their heart Mm -hmm. and um they've been a blessing a blessing beyond blessing if you have any information concerning the disappearance of Ricky Griffiths, who was last seen in the Burnside area of Lake Cumberland and whose car was discovered in Coopersville in Wayne County, Kentucky, please call the anonymous tip line at 706-383-7229. And if you would like to do your small part to show support for the family, consider joining their Facebook group, Justice for Ricky Griffiths, because one thing we all want is justice for Ricky. I will end our coverage with Cheyenne's words to anyone listening to this case. If, if anyone knows anything about the location of my brother, to please contact the tip line that is on the billboard, that is on the Justice for Ricky Facebook page. The tip line is, well, you will remain completely anonymous on the tip line. The tip line has no affiliation with law enforcement, no affiliation with the family. It is a very private line. When you call that number, you will be speaking with someone who has no connections with the community or the family. They will keep everything private and confidential. The only thing that they are asking is for you to give them a location to where we can find Ricky. They're not asking for details as to what happened the last night of his life. They're not asking for names. They're not asking for nothing other than a location to look for his body. Once they get that information of where his body is located, they will send a search team there and they will look for his body. Once his body is recovered, they will be the ones to meet privately to give the reward. There is a $12,000 reward out and they will be the ones to give that to you privately if his body is, is found. It's whoever calls first with the right information that will lead them to his body. The information that we get, it will be very essential. You will need to be very, very descriptive with it. You'll need to say, you don't, don't, don't call in and say he is in a field in Coopersville that's located next to a creek because there's a hundred fields in Coopersville that's a hundred creeks. You will have to be very detailed if you want to retrieve the reward. So uh, just be very descriptive. If you're, you know, don't be descriptive on who done it and where it happened and how it happened. Just let us know where we can find him. That would be the only thing that I'm just asking the community to please step forward and, you know, start asking people questions. People might, you know, get people to talk. Do you know where he is? If, if someone tells you something and it is just word, word of mouth, contact the tip line. Every, inf- every bit of information that is being called in is being looked into. There is nothing in Ricky's case that is being taken lightly or overlooked. Everything is 
being looked into and researched and either ruled out or added to interest. So if you hear anything, please give us us that information. Um, You can call the tip line and give them other information outside of the location, but as far as the reward money, that's, that's where the reward money will go is the recovery of his body. And that's really all that I ask is for the community and the ones who did this or the ones to know to please step forward and give my family some peace, give the community some peace. Ricky was a father, a brother. He was a son. You know, he was an uncle, a very hard worker, a very genuine man. And he did not deserve this. My parents don't deserve this. They, you know, they're they're in pain. You know, they have no closure. They need closure. They need to be able to lay him to rest. And we just need answers. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Love notes with Allison. Whoop whoop. Oh, that was sad. It somehow falls flat without Maggie here, but I'll keep chugging along. It has been so exciting that this is baby week for her. And who knows, maybe by the time this episode comes out, when maybe by the time this episode actually airs, baby Dameron might already be here. If not, He'll be here soon. But as much as I miss Maggie, I am so glad that she is taking time off to relax and just snuggle with her precious little one. With Maggie gone and this now being a one-woman show for a bit, I wanted to tell you now that I plan on changing a few things with Patreon as well just to make it more manageable in the interim. So you will still get a full-length Patreon episode each month just like you did before. That won't change. And if you've signed up for the $12, $15, or $20 a month levels, then you will still be getting quarterly swag boxes. In fact, the next one that comes out in November is going to be filled with some of my favorite things. So join before September ends at one of those tiers and stay there through November if you'd like to receive one. What will change is the mini episodes. So while I do plan on writing and posting those as I am able to replace those posts. Instead, I plan on posting our episodes ad-free and, fingers crossed, a day early. Now, for some love that I am bursting to share. First of all, Maggie and I both have a huge amount of humble and gracious love to every single one of our listeners who have taken us over the 750,000 download mark. 
just two years ago, we were in awe that we had gotten to a hundred thousand. And just look at how you guys have exceeded our expectations yet again. Wow. I mean, I have no words other than that. We love you and we would not be here without your support. So keep listening, keep sharing, keep being your wonderful selves. I also have some love going out to Fanny Fenwick for a recent five-star written review that read, quote, just found your podcast. I am a fellow teacher in Kentucky, and I even have a true crime club at my school. I can't wait to share your show with my students, end quote. Thank you so much for that review. That is awesome. I wish I had a true crime club when I was in high school. But if you would ever like for us to talk to your students, either about making a show or about a particular case, we would absolutely love to plan a Google Meet or a Zoom call with them. So just reach out. And that goes to anybody. And to end, I want to give so much love to our newest Patreon member, Ashley. Welcome to the CNC fam. I am so happy that you have joined us. And with that, all of my love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuth Hounds. If you've been listening to our show for more than one episode, then you probably know about my love for animals. What I don't often talk about is the difficulty of meeting all their nutritional needs. Trust me, not all dog food is created equal, but we're about to solve that problem for you. It's called Nom Nom. In Nom Nom, you can actually see proteins and vegetables like beef, chicken, pork, peas, carrots, kale, and more. And ordering it is the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. Isn't it time to feel good about the food you're feeding your dog? Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash coffee and cases and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love fresh, delicious meals, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom.